hey, here's a photo op right here. How many of you like to help other people? You like to help other people sometimes? Yeah. What kinds of things can we do to help other people? Huh? What kinds of things can you help mom and dad with, maybe? Clean the house, okay. They need help with that? Okay. Mow the lawn, okay. Anything else we can do to help mom and dad or maybe somebody else, maybe your brother or sister? Do the laundry, fold your clothes, put them away. Lots of things, okay. You know, I really like to help people too. I always have since I was your age. And the guy that we're going to be talking about today named Andrew was somebody like that also. I remember one time when I was about 12, um, I went down the street to help a neighbor rake her leaves. She was an elderly lady, and I knew that she was having struggle with that, so I went down there. I forgot to tell mom where I went, so I was gone all morning, and uh, when I got home, I was in big trouble. <laughs> like, what were you doing? Where were you? What was going on? Well, I was down there helping Mrs. So-and-so, and she said, well, I'm really glad that you have that in your heart, but you had things I want, that I wanted you to do here. You had jobs to do here, and so my mom was upset with me. First of all, I didn't tell her where I went. Secondly, I had jobs to do at home, and so I had neglected those in order to help this other person. Well, this guy in the Bible named Andrew was one of the disciples or followers of Jesus, and he loved to help other people. He's always thinking about other people, always thinking about what they could need. And so he would do things to help them, I'm, I'm sure. But the main thing that Andrew was concerned about was he wanted them to know Jesus. He wanted them to be introduced to Jesus. So the three things that we see about Andrew in the Gospel of John all had this in common, that Andrew was bringing somebody to Jesus because he wanted them to know Jesus also. So I hope that as you're helpful and as you're thinking about people that you could help, that you are also thinking about the need that people have for Jesus, that all of us need to know Jesus. And if we can introduce them to Jesus it can change their lives. It can really make a big difference for them. So thank you for coming up and listening to the story. You can go back to your seat, okay? Thank you very much. All right, I made it. <laughs> Never sure how that's going to work out. Gabriel, she's going to go the other way. Okay, here she comes. <laughs> Everyone knows about the Apostle Peter, but have you ever heard much about his little brother, Andrew? Peter is listed with James and John as one of the three closest disciples to Jesus, but Andrew, Andrew kind of just, you know, kind of fades into the background, doesn't he? We don't know much about him. Andrew was actually the first of the apostles to follow Jesus, but he never gets listed first in any of those lists. You know, different gospel writers are saying the 12 were... Andrew's never listed first. Peter bumps up to the front of the line. And, and uh, you know what I think? I think it didn't bother Andrew in the least. He didn't care about such things. The closer we look at this guy, the more we like him. He represents many, if not most of us. Andrew was this quiet, unassuming follower of Jesus like many of us. And there doesn't seem to be anything remarkable about him. And yet Andrew had a standout quality that really outshines all the other disciples. Do you know what it is? Do you know what make, makes him 
stand out so special? Well, we'll find out today. Andrew was from Bethsaida, a little town next to Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. If you know Israel, it's kind of this narrow country with the Mediterranean Sea out to the left and, and Assyria or Babylon to the right. And in between is this, this uh, land, and it's got this river flowing up through the, the right side of it, the eastern side. The top of it is the Sea of Galilee. At the bottom of it is the Dead Sea. And so Bethsaida is right at the northern part of this Sea of Galilee towards the north of the whole country. He and his brother, Peter, were fishermen. And we think that they were business partners with the sons of Zebedee named James and John. Last week we read in the Gospel of John how John the Baptist began his ministry out in the wilderness east of Jerusalem along the Jordan River. And he didn't go into the cities, but he called out to the people that they would come to God, they would repent of their sins, and they would be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And hundreds, perhaps thousands of people heard John's call out in the wilderness. They told their friends and others would come, and many, many people were baptized in the Jordan River. Andrew was one of those people. Now, even though he wasn't in Jerusalem, he was many miles away to the north, he heard about John the Baptist, and he went down to hear this new prophet, John, preach. He would have walked about 60 miles to get there. Sometimes we forget, you know, that they didn't jump in the car and get there in an hour. It was maybe several days of hiking in order to go see this new preacher, this Old Testament prophet named John the Baptist. And Andrew was one of those people convicted in his heart when he heard the message and he too was baptized in the Jordan. After that, I don't think Andrew wanted to go home. He said, this is, this is like a, a mountaintop experience. This is a holy moment. This is a place when I've drawn near to God. I've, I've made a decision to follow God like I've never followed him before. And I've repented and I've experienced his cleansing. And he just wanted to stay. Maybe another one of his friends we know was there from Bethsaida. Could have been Philip, we know he's from Bethsaida, it could have been John or James that were there, and, and they're together making this decision, and together deciding to stay on as John's disciples, and they hang around with him. Andrew is definitely a seeker after God, and he wanted to learn all he could about God. Soon something happened there on the banks of the Jordan that changed Andrew's life forever. Andrew met Jesus. And that's what we want to think about this morning is how he met Jesus and what this encounter with Jesus did for his life. He would never be the same. So let's go to John again, chapter 1, and let's skip down to verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour or the 4 o'clock time frame. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. 
you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. <clears throat> when John the Baptist pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God, Andrew immediately followed Jesus. Andrew went to Jesus and asked him where he was staying, and Jesus said, well, come, you'll see. So Andrew and his friends spent the rest of that day with Jesus, whether that was Philip or maybe John, the writer of this gospel. These two followed Jesus, spent the rest of the day with him, perhaps four or five hours with him. And when John the Baptist uh, had pointed to Jesus, John or, or, uh, Andrew didn't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm your disciple. I'm just going to stay with you. He immediately recognized one greater because John was pointing the way to him. That was the whole point of his ministry. And so he left John and went immediately to be with Jesus. The two of them only had a few hours with Jesus, but Jesus changed their lives forever. In those few short hours, Andrew decided to follow Jesus, and he never looked back. Once he had determined that Jesus was the Messiah, Andrew immediately went and told his brother Peter. And John puts it this way, he says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Peter. Well, this happens quickly in the narrative. I mean, it's just a few words. And it seems like, well, Peter was in the next town. Peter was just around the corner. Peter was, you know, just a stone's throw away. And I've got to tell Peter. But remember, he's come 60 miles out into the wilderness to see John. And that's where he meets Jesus. So Andrew has to go all the way back home to Bethsaida to get his brother Peter and to convince him he has found the Messiah and he needs to come and meet Jesus as well. And thankfully, when he tells Peter about Jesus, Peter went willingly. He didn't doubt his brother. He didn't say, you know, I'm too busy. I've got all this going on while you're out chasing your dreams. I've got to keep the family business together. Whatever excuse he might have given, Peter instead says, if you're convinced, this is worth checking out. I want to go see Jesus for myself. And when he finds Jesus, he too places his faith in Jesus. And Jesus changes Peter's name. He only changes it from the fact of a, an Aramaic name to a, to a Greek name. But he opens up for Peter a new life, a new way of doing things. And Peter will eventually become the leader. What I want you to notice is this, that Andrew came to Jesus first and then came Peter. Now, Peter was a person that normally would have been first. He wants to be the first to say something, first to do something, first to jump into any situation. But in this case, it's Andrew who comes first, and then Peter who follows. How many times has this happened, that a humbler soul was responsible for leading a great evangelist or leader to the Lord? I think it's happened hundreds of times. Um, one instance that I know of is Dwight L. Moody. Perhaps you've heard of him as a great evangelist of the past. He was first introduced to the Lord through a man named Edward Kimball. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was not somebody who was ever up in the spotlight. He was simply Moody's Sunday school teacher when he was a boy, when he was a, a, a teenage boy. And when he was a teenager in Edward Kimball's Sunday school class, he was along with another group of boys, and, and some of them didn't really care to be in there. You know, they just had to be there. Mom and Dad said, you're going to be going here. This is where you're going to be at this hour. And so they went rather unwillingly. That's who Dwight L. Moody was. But Edward Kimball cared about those boys. He prayed for those boys every week. And he, he had made a determination, a goal, that I'm going to try to introduce every one of these boys to Jesus and to help them make a decision to follow him as their Lord and Savior. 
And even though Dwight L. Moody didn't really seem to understand or didn't seem to care about these things, Edward Kimball went to visit him on his job. He was working back in the stock room of a shoe store. And he found him back there and he said, you know, I'm here because I care about you. I'm here because I want to make sure you understand why I'm your teacher and why I want you to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he talked to him there very pointedly, eye to eye, about Jesus Christ. And there in that stock room, Dwight Moody decided to surrender his life to Christ and then was baptized into Christ. And the rest, they say, is history because Dwight L. Moody touched two continents for God in his preaching. And hundreds and hundreds of people became Christians, even thousands, through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. There's always some little link, always some, some connection to the next person and what happens after that. And as you follow on from Moody's life, you find another man's heart who was touched for God. His name was Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman became another evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day he was preaching and this professional ball player just happened to wander in to the, to the meeting. And he heard the gospel and Billy Sunday became a Christian. And then Chapman moved on to become the preacher of a church. And Billy Sunday became the preacher of the evangelistic crusades and went from town to town sharing the gospel. And at one of those crusades, another young man was converted named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham followed in Chapman's footsteps, and he started preaching from place to place. And eventually, he ended up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there one night as he's preaching, he confronts the town about something that he's observed there. He says that I've seen across from the high school where we're holding this crusade that there is a place, a house of ill repute, we'll call it. And I know that some of the young men go over there, and this needs to stop. And tomorrow night, I'm going to tell you more about this. Well, that got everybody's attention, got a big crowd back the next night. And one of those young men who decided to come, who had said, I won't go to hear that guy preach, was a guy named Billy Frank. Billy Frank went because he just wanted to see what the crowd would do, what they would do once he started talking about this, because some of the other boys had said, we're going to go, and we're going to make problems for that preacher. And he went there, and he heard the gospel for the first time. He really heard for the first time. And then he went back the next night, and that night he decided to follow Jesus Christ, shocking his whole family. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than perhaps any, people, any person who's ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. It's estimated that more than two billion people heard Billy Graham preach at some time in his life. So you never know what God might do through the people that you introduce to Jesus. You may be that quiet, unassuming Andrew, but when you introduce certain people to Christ, no matter who they may be, God may have another story, another link to unfold in that chain. When Andrew introduced his brother Peter to Jesus, he helped God's kingdom grow. And he didn't care that Peter became the outspoken leader of the 12 disciples closest to Jesus. He was just happy that his brother became a Christian, and that Jesus had changed his life also. Did you ever think that we might never have had a Peter unless we had had an Andrew first? Later on, we have two other instances of Andrew bringing others to Jesus. Let's look at them together. So flip over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we have Jesus teaching a multitude of people, and Jesus has these people who have come for his healing, for his teaching, 
and they're hungry, and so Jesus needs to feed them. John 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he, called, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Here is a boy, Lord, answered, said, Andrew said, and this little boy brought the lunch that maybe his mother thought of, his mother packed for him. It's not much, Lord, but here's what we have. Here is a boy. Here's what we've got, Lord. Now it's up to you. Do your thing. Do with it whatever you will. And what did Jesus do with that small lunch that day? Well, he went on to bless that little lunch and then to feed over 10,000 people. That's what he did. Now I can imagine if you back up into that story, you back up into this multitude of people, this guy named Andrew, this quiet, unassuming Andrew, mixing and mingling with the crowd. Here was Andrew befriending people, getting to know the least of these, even the children who no one else was paying attention to. In that society, children were disregarded, children wanted to be out of, out of sight, out of mind, and Andrew's spending time with them, and he realizes that this boy is the only one who came prepared for lunch, and it was Andrew that brings this young boy to Jesus. It was Andrew that connects what little they had with the power of Jesus, and the rest was Jesus, all Jesus. So first Andrew connected his brother to Jesus, and then he connected this young boy with Jesus. Now we have in John's gospel one final glimpse into Andrew's life. It's in the Passion Week. It's over in John chapter 12. So flip over a few more chapters again. In John chapter 12, we're into the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem triumphantly. If you kind of read through the rest of this chapter, kind of glance through it. He's been anointed at Bethany. And then the triumphal entry had occurred when he and his disciples entered into Jerusalem. And the people just mobbed him. The people thronged to him. And then this event happens in John 12, starting in verse 20. A few Gentiles, a few Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They were what we would call proselytes. They were not true Jews, but they had been attracted by Judaism. They had been attracted by Jews, the Jews' God, and they were worshiping God, and they were uh, sharing together as much as they could in the Jewish feast of Passover. They wanted to be there for that. But it says that they also wanted to see Jesus too. Chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They come, came to Philip, who was Bethsaid, from Bethsaid in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. 
So these Greeks, these Gentiles, approached Philip first and said, we want to see Jesus. But Philip didn't know what to do with that. He, he didn't know how to respond. He, he wasn't going to be the one to interrupt Jesus. He hesitated. But yet he told Andrew, and Andrew had no hesitation. He immediately took these men to meet Jesus. No hesitation. And Jesus was pleased. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied. It wasn't that Jesus was talking and Jesus went on and, and said more at that point. Jesus replied to this introduction of these Greeks to Jesus. And this is what he said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is what Jesus said when he replied to this introduction of these Greeks. It was very intentional what he said. And Jesus had a reason to say, I'm going to die. This is what's about ready to happen. And he predicted his death in very uncertain uh, certain terms that, that this is how it was going to happen. And I was going to give up my life now for the world. Skip down to verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus said. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus is putting himself in this place. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the, the reason I came. And why would I say, Father, save me from death? Rather, I came to die. And then John says, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And I imagine that there was, there was this moment when Andrew brings these Greeks to Jesus. That it, like a, a switch had been flipped, like a trigger had been pulled. Jesus said, okay, I understand. I see what's happening. I'm going to move forward with what God has called me to do. Now is the time. And Jesus' triumphal entry had already occurred. The noise had died down. The crowds had started going home. But Jesus' disciples were still kind of hanging around outside the temple. And that's when these Gentiles made their wishes known to Philip and to Andrew. And Andrew introduced them to his Lord Jesus. And that's when Jesus said his time of death was rapidly approaching. We know that by Friday he was going to be put on a cross to die. But here on Sunday evening, after Andrew brought these Gentiles to Jesus, Jesus chose that moment to say, it was for this very reason that I came. Father, glorify thy name. And then John writes, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. I hear you. My blessing is on you. God thundered his approval from heaven. Jesus came to give his, give his life for all of us, not just Jews, but for those of us who are Gentiles. 
And Andrew loved to connect people with Jesus, even people that were very different than him. And it is seen over and over again. So when Andrew appears in the Gospel of John these three times, he's always doing the same thing, isn't he? He's always bringing somebody to Jesus. Andrew is the man who introduces people to Jesus. Without him, there can be no success. He's a one-talent man, but he's using that one talent for all it is worth. Jesus chose Andrew to follow him. He chose a one-talent man because nothing can be done in the kingdom without one-talent people. You may think, I'm insignificant. I only have one thing to give the Lord, and it's not much. But Andrew said, I'm not going to buy that excuse. I'm going to do what I can, as long as I can. H.S. Vigivino wrote a, a book called The Twelve Men Who Changed the World. Nothing can be done without those friendly folk, those humble people, he said, who are always introducing others to Jesus. Once in a while, you get a Peter or a Luther or a Carey or a Spurgeon or a Graham. Mass evangelism has its place, but the most effective way is person to person, one by one. In God's plan, nothing can be done without Andrews. You see, everyone can't be a Peter, but everyone can be an Andrew. Andrews are what Jesus wants. Not men who have all the brash and bravado of a Peter, not men who have all the answers and impress everyone who meets them, but friendly men and women, one-talent men and women, men and women with a heart and a passion for lost people who need to meet Jesus. And like Peter, your family needs Jesus, doesn't it? You have members of your family that don't know Jesus. Andrew's first concern was for his brother. Our first concern should be for our family members. God says, start close to home. Heard about a businessman that was walking by a restaurant and noticed a poor boy eagerly looking into the restaurant. His face was pressed flat against the glass. Are you hungry, he said. And the boy timidly replied, well, yes, sir, I am. Well, taking the lad inside, the man ordered a lavish meal for him. But the boy, sitting in front of this lavish meal, kept looking out the window, showing no interest in the delicious food. The man tapped him on the shoulder and says, why don't you eat? You said you were hungry. And the boy said, see that boy out there looking through the window now? That's my little brother. How can I eat with him standing there looking at me like that? And the man brought in the younger boy, and both boys enjoyed quite a feast. Like Andrew, first introduce your family to Jesus. Now, that's not always easy. There's a challenge because they know you. (laughs) They know all about you. But when you acknowledge that you too made mistakes, you too needed a Savior, all of that will go away. And you'll be able to lift up Jesus in their life and introduce them to Jesus. And you can help your family members to follow Christ. Children need Jesus, just like that boy that had the lunch that day when they had to feed the multitude. Andrew, Andrews bring children to Jesus. There was a, a crusade in a Scottish church years ago. And they went through this whole thing. You know, they used to have these, these uh, revivals that would last a week or two weeks or three weeks. And, and they kept extending this, hoping that there would be some decisions. There were no decisions. Night after night, nobody's accepting the invitation. Finally, they said, okay, this is the last night. We're going to have our meeting and prayed that someone would come forward. 
and the preacher was chagrined that there was one person, it was a child. <laughs> At the very end of the service, the last service of their meetings, this child came forward and pray, professed their faith in Christ and started following Jesus. The preacher thought, well, that's not much. Is this the best that can result from all the work that we did? But little did he know who that little child would be. That thousands would be one to Christ, and in fact, a whole continent would hear of Jesus. Opened up through the gospel, through that little fellow. His name, David Livingston. <laughs> People out in the world need Jesus also. Andrew took the Gentiles, people far from God, to meet Jesus. People in our society, we've been talking in our Sunday school class, are hurting, they're hopeless. They need our compassion. They need our grace. They don't just need our social programs. They need Jesus. So, Andrew, where are you? There are people waiting to meet your Jesus. People are not one to Christ in mass. They are one, one by one. Someone plans the good news in a person's life by showing them love and telling them about Jesus. And in time, that little seed might, might sprout, might grow into personal faith. It might not. But Andrew keeps on inviting. Andrew keeps on introducing. This July 4th holiday is coming on Wednesday. And we sometimes pause to reflect where we are as a nation. I know I do. We pray for our nation. We hope that our nation will come back to God. And we think, you know, we have little signs of once following God. We still say one nation under God in our Pledge of Allegiance. We still have print, printed on our coins, one, in God we trust. But I wonder if either of those are even true anymore. What are we going to do about it? Well, what are we going to do to change it? And our Bible class has been trying to figure out some of the best ways that we might witness to this culture that is running away from God. But Andrew didn't worry about the whole big picture. He didn't try to figure out a solution for everybody. That was God's business. He just looked at the individuals that were close to him. Individuals that were nearby to him. And then he did what he could to bring them to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We need to be the Andrews, male or female, young or old, looking at the people around us and doing whatever we can, wherever we can, as long as we can. I want to encourage you today to be an Andrew, because the world needs more Andrews. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are uh, in these words of your gospel. You're in the words of your book, the Bible, not as a, a lifeless entity, but as our living God who truly cares about us, who has found a very dramatic and intentional way to intersect with our lives through Jesus. You have found a way to uh, help us personally encounter your son Jesus. And our lives are changed when we do that. We pray today that as we've thought about our own lives. And, and uh, maybe the excuses we've made. Or maybe the, the opportunities we've missed. That we have been. We've been held accountable today Lord to be an Andrew. To the people around us. Perhaps there's a family member that needs to know Jesus. Perhaps there's a child in our neighborhood, maybe where we work, that needs to know Jesus. Maybe there's a Gentile 
a pagan, a, a lost person who needs to know Jesus. And we know it, Lord. We just haven't done anything about it yet. Help us to be an Andrew to them. Help us to find a way to introduce them to Jesus before it's too late. Help us to do all we can while we can to bring them to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't have to do anything to fix yourself. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make things right in order to be acceptable. Jesus wants you to come just as you are. He wants you to come in that freedom of just humility and acknowledging your need for Him. And He'll take care of everything. You know, when you encounter Jesus, your life can be changed. And we want to encourage you to do that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to make that decision. We want to encourage you to make that decision. We're going to sing together a song. This is just come as you are. And if you decide that you want to follow Christ today, won't you just come up and be seated here and we'll, we'll talk with you after the service today and help you make that decision. Let's stand together. Let's sing.